Hi, my name is Chad Kelly, and you're listening to the UMA Financial Podcast. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Trent Cyril. We're going to be discussing tax reviews and some of the common items we come across on tax returns. Hope you enjoy. Well, welcome back, Trent. It's uh, good to have you back here in the studio recording another podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here, Chad. Um, oftentimes we get clients who come in and they, they express concern that they feel like they're paying, overpaying in taxes, or they say, I feel like I saw my tax bill and it was horrendous and it was shocking. This is a common thing we see, right? You know, yeah, including with us probably. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone <laughs> feels that to some extent, right? And so part of the services we do is we help review people's tax situation and make sure that indeed they're not overpaying or they're not making missteps. Um, so we, 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 we periodically do tax reviews for our clients. Yeah, it's a great service. Um, and, and so yeah, why don't you walk us through a little bit what actually happens when you do a tax review? When you, if client A wants says, hey, Trent, I need you to review my tax situation, what do you typically ask from them? Yeah, I really just need a copy of the last year's taxes that either the taxpayer or the accountant prepared. And uh, if I can see both the federal and the state taxes, I just go through every page and every form, making sure that they look the way that they should, making notes about uh, items of concern or areas of interest or strategy that they're not taking advantage of. Yeah. And, and for full clarity, we, we don't prepare tax, tax returns. We don't, and um, we, we'll relay the information and our findings back to the client usually and then let them work with their tax preparer to make any adjustments or modifications. Yeah, and for the most part, I mean, are people making big mistakes or do you find it's just little things here or there that could make it better? It depends. Um, You've seen all the above? (laughs) I have, and um, it's not uncommon on average to see either errors or areas of strategy that aren't taking, being taken advantage of. And um, I think that uh, we could probably generalize in saying that probably 75 to 80% of the tax returns that we see could probably use some help. A tweak on some level. Right. Well, good. Well, today let, we're going to talk about, I guess, common missteps or some of these little tweaks that could happen to tax returns. Um, so let's, let's jump into it. Yeah, we'll, we'll kind that's of, good. We'll talk through some of these. Some of these we'll go in a little more in depth on. Some of them we'll, we'll keep at a high level. I, I think at any rate, um, you know, we're not going to go super into the weeds. Yeah. But the first one, uh, probably a common one we see is um, when people own bonds, um, you, you earn interest off the bonds. Sure. Um, and you can, when you're considering bonds, you could look at, like, for example, a corporate bond or a municipal bond. Sure. Municipal bond being a bond that's issued by a, a state or government um, and can have tax advantage. That's uh, true. Some of the interest that comes from the municipal bond. Um, people will often say, well, the corporate bond pays more than a comparable municipal bond. You know, I'm just right. going to own the higher paying interest rate in my, my account. What, what do you find is the error in this sometimes? Well, as uh, our income goes up, generally our tax rates go up and we end up in what's called a marginal tax bracket, meaning that the next dollar that we earn is going to be taxed at a particular rate. 
and uh, the rate is determined uh, based on income brackets and uh, the higher income bracket is, the more advantageous it becomes to earn tax-free income rather than taxable income. There aren't very many tax-free strategies that the IRS allows anymore, yeah. but a municipal bond or a municipal bond fund is still one that exists. So this is probably, a, I guess, one of the mistakes is, is some, an individual makes more and more money, becomes more and more important that they own assets that have tax advantages. Absolutely. There aren't very many tax-advantaged options left anymore in the tax code, but this is one that high-income earners should definitely be taking advantage of. Yeah. You know, and it, another thing to be aware of when it comes to municipal bonds, um, some municipal bonds are recognized in other states. Uh, you get tax advantage. Like if I own a uh, state ne- right next door, maybe, maybe I, I'm a resident of state A and state B's municipal bond isn't recognized by state A. Mm-hmm. And so I don't actually get any tax advantage by owning state B's municipal bond, correct? That's true, uh, but don't confuse the benefit that you get on your federal taxes with the benefit that you get on your state taxes. Okay. All municipal bonds are tax-free on a federal level. Okay. Uh, when you prepare your state taxes, if you own municipal bonds that are not from your state, or what we call reciprocal states recognized by your state of residence, you have to add back the interest that was earned from those states into your state income taxes. So we propose that a Utah resident own either bonds or bond funds uh, that are earning Utah interest or reciprocal state interest recognized from the state of Utah. Yeah, I think it's a good thing to be aware of. Sure. A lot of people don't understand that, I guess. Sure. Um, another, another common thing we run into is, well, a popular popular question is I would like to save, save money as Roth. Yeah. People often earn over the Roth IRA contribution limits, and so they look at doing what's often referred to as the two-step Roth conversion strategy. Right. And uh, we, we find that some people run into issues on their tax returns when it comes to filing this strategy. That's true, Chad. And you have to be just a little bit careful when you're doing a two-step Roth. If you already own IRA funds, it's going to complicate that two-step Roth conversion strategy just a little bit. And the calculation that occurs on your tax return is a little bit difficult, and sometimes we don't see it done right, especially in the initial year or years of the stra- using the strategy. Not all accountants are overly conversant with the strategy. So when we help a client through this strategy, especially in the first year, we want to review their taxes to make sure it's accounted for accurately on their taxes. Yeah, if it's not, the result is you end up... You end up paying paying taxes on a conversion that didn't occur. So you're double taxed on those dollars, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a a common one that that we run into. Um, we actually, in a previous podcast, talked a little bit about qualified charitable distributions, and we, we do see some errors or issues with, with this. So in order to do a QCD, or a qualified charitable distribution, you have to be over 70 and a half, and essentially you're making a donation from an IRA account or a qualified account to a charity. 
Um, what, what's one of the issues, I guess, you see on a return when it comes to this? Yeah, it's a great strategy. And uh, it wasn't until just a couple of years ago that the IRS declared that this was going to be a permanent part of the tax code that allowed this strategy to be employed. And the challenge that we're seeing is that the 1099-R that a custodian gives a taxpayer at the end of the year only reflects that a distribution was made from this account. It doesn't reflect or notate that it may have gone directly to a charity. As far as they're concerned, it could have gone to you, to, yeah. to, your, to your pocket. Right? You're exactly right. And so the IRS 1099-R forms maybe need to catch up a little bit to this current strategy yeah. with some different coding. But as it stands right now, you've got to be prepared to tell your tax preparer that of a certain amount of a distribution, some of it went directly to a charity and should not be included as income. Yeah. And oftentimes that message isn't relayed to the accountant and that distribution ends up getting taxed. Yeah, you, you end up paying ordinary income taxes on the amount that you donated to the charity and the purpose for donating it to the charity was to get out of paying taxes on it. So it's That's correct. And so yeah, it's uh, it it can be a painful mistake if you if you miss it. Yeah. And you're especially looking back saying, "Oh wow." Most accountants or and tax preparers are pretty familiar with the strategy now. Yeah. Um, but uh, yet still hit and miss a little bit, especially for those who are still preparing their own taxes. You need to be careful on how you report that. Yeah. Another popular um, way to save money uh, with our clients and with investors in general is through 529 college savings accounts. Mm -hmm. um, we, we, we're big fans of this. We feel like it's a great way to set aside money for future co college expenses or I guess education expenses in general. They've kind of broadened the, sure. not, doesn't it just have to be higher education now? But um, that a lot of times th there can be credits associated with contributions. Talk, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the, uh, the 529 plans are a code section of the IRS rules and regulations that allows these accounts to exist. And when you make a deposit to these accounts, you don't get to take a deduction on your federal taxes in any way. But oftentimes there are tax deductions or credits that you can take on your state taxes. Okay. And this is something that's oftentimes forgotten by taxpayers who are making deposits into these accounts. Yeah. So if I make deposits into my kids' accounts at the end of the year, um, my 529, Utah's 529 program, sends me a tax form that says, oh, Chad, you're eligible for X amount of dollars of a state tax credit. If, if I don't catch that and I don't report it on my taxes, I'm missing a, a credit. Yeah. You're missing out on a great advantage of the program. Yeah. So that, that's, that's a common one we, we come across. Another, another uh, misstep, I guess, or a concept that people miss is this, this term tax loss, tax loss harvesting. Mm -hmm. well, what does that mean? Yeah, it's a, it's a mouthful for sure. But um, when a taxpayer owns um, investment properties, which could be anything from stocks to mutual funds or other investment instruments, uh, we always hope that they're going to go up in value. Yeah. That's not always the case. It's not always the case. And sometimes they go down in value, and we've actually uh, 
had a loss in value of our account or that investment. Now, it doesn't become a realized loss until you actually sell it. Yeah. So before that time, it's just a paper loss. But uh, a good strategy that you would employ to try to lower the consequences of owning investment instruments is to offset gains that you might have realized against losses that you may have also realized throughout the year. And oftentimes when the market is swinging uh, from an upward trend to maybe a downward trend for a period of time, you could sell some of those positions that have lost value or recognize that loss and use that to offset the gains that you might have realized and use up to $3,000 a year to offset other income. And you can carry losses that you may have recognized but may, may not have been able to use indefinitely okay. as it stands right now. So from year to year, you can carry some of those forward. You can use them up until they're gone. Yeah. Yeah, someone who's not familiar with this concept or uh, I guess uneducated on it, on the topic could miss that, which could result in quite, quite a bit of money, I guess. Sure. And uh, capital gains rates are lower than our normal taxable income rates anyway. So we always still get an advantage to sell investment assets after, especially after holding them for maybe a year or so. But when you can offset that with losses as well, it could end up with a zero tax consequence, which is a great thing to have. Yeah, oh, very good. Another common question we get, people will say, I know that at age 70 and a half, I have to begin taking a required minimum distribution for my old retirement accounts or IRA accounts. In order to reduce that amount, should I start converting some of that money over to Roth accounts? The, the answer is maybe or yes or no. It depends. It, right? it depends. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what are some of the, I guess, the, the holes or gaps you find in people's strategy when, they, when it comes to this idea of converting money over from a traditional to a Roth? Or is there a window when it's best? Yeah, you know, uh, when you convert money from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA, you have to pay taxes. Yeah. So in an extreme sense, it doesn't make sense to ever do that when you're at your peak earning years and in your highest tax brackets. Converting IRA money to a Roth will be very expensive. It just piggybacks on your income you've earned sure. from your employer, I guess. And if you can't afford to pay that additional tax out of normal income, you probably shouldn't do it. You never want to pay it out of the converted money. Yeah. But there could be times in your life, say when you retire at age 65, and you have very little, if any, income anymore, you may find yourself in lower or maybe even some of the lowest tax brackets available, which would provide a very opportune time to do some Roth conversions that would be very very inexpensive uh, leading up to when you have to start taking your required minimum distributions at age 70 and a half. Yeah, I guess the difference in tax savings if, if you did it while you were 64 and still employed in one of the higher tax brackets versus when you were 66 and retired, 
I mean, we're talking thousands of dollars would be the difference. Yeah, absolutely. Potentially. Sure. Um, yeah, it's a great strategy. And uh, I think you and I also agree that it's probably a good idea to have money in what we call different buckets that give you various consequences, especially tax consequences of using those buckets during retirement. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Yeah. One of the, I guess the other just biggest missteps that people make is just general underfunding of retirement accounts. Uh, maybe they, they qualify for a 401k through their employer, but they're not making contributions to it. Or um, they are self-employed. They could set up a self-employed type retirement account, but they're not funding it. What, 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 what's the, the damages of this misstep, I guess? Well, two of them that I can think about. First is you're not really becoming very prepared for your retirement yeah, years. Yeah. But the second, and even uh, maybe more important, is during your peak earning years or when you're in the highest income brackets, you're not utilizing some of the strategies that the IRS has uh, allowed to lower your income and lower your tax obligation. And... Um, whether it's a 401k or a 403b or a, a, a simple uh, IRA, these are all a, types of account registrations that allow deposits to be used as a tax deduction against your income that can lower your taxable income, which lowers your tax consequence. Yeah, I, I mean, funding your retirement account is probably one of the most bang for your buck moves you can make to absolutely. save on taxes. Especially if it's being matched in any way. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, these are just a handful of the of the, the examples we see. We'll touch a little bit on, just briefly, on some of the other ones. Um, some other common ones you hear, yeah, there's a lot of lingo thrown around, but you hear, hear the term bunching donations. Yeah. We've um, heard that more often currently Yeah, with yeah. the tax law changes. Yeah, with tax law changes and the standard deduction increasing. Um, there could be some strategy around grouping or bunching charitable donations. Sure. So maybe some years you itemize, some years you don't. That's correct. Um, you, the idea of you know, grouping two years' worth of tithing or whatnot um, sure. into a single year. And so right. it, you know, people who are unaware of this kind of miss out on potentially some of the tax savings. Sure. I think uh, with the new tax laws that were introduced last year that included the higher standard deduction, reviewing your 2018 year's taxes is especially crucial. Yeah. They're very different from what they have been in years past. And um, it could be that deductions that you've been used to using in the past are no longer available to you anymore yeah. because of the higher standard deduction um, you would want to determine which of those two is most advantageous for you to use on your taxes. Sure. Now, you get the standard deduction every year, no matter what. Yeah. Uh, but unless you bunch your deductions a little bit in every other year, you may not be able to use the itemized deductions any longer. Yeah. Another common uh, question we get is people will ask, does it make sense for me to carry a balance on my mortgage or rather than paying off my mortgage quickly, keep, you know, drag it out essentially so that I get interest dedu deductions? 
Sure. What, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I have a few, and there's a lot of ways to approach this question. And uh, focusing, though, just solely on the tax aspect of it, I think it's changed a little bit. Uh, y- many people used to be under the assumption that when you owned a home, you not only got to deduct your interest as well as your property taxes on your taxes. And so there was a tax benefit of carrying a mortgage, and it made the cost of the interest a little bit lower because you were able to deduct Deduct the interest along the way. And so it was relatively cheap money, so to speak. We're finding that many, many homeowners now, especially with the higher standard deduction, are no longer deducting mortgage interest or their home real estate taxes on their itemized deductions anymore because of the tax law changes. So you can't say anymore that it always makes sense from a tax perspective to carry a mortgage forever. In fact, those who may have smaller balances now and the interest has become relatively small and insignificant, it may be a prudent move to just pay the mortgage off. Yeah. Yeah, this is one that it's, would need to be reviewed case by case, but I think it's gone from more of a blanket statement. Absolutely. To needs to be reviewed. For sure. Um, one of the, I guess, the last topics we'll talk about is the idea of asset location. Um, certain assets that you own or asset classes of stocks or investments create different taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, owning some asset classes that generate a lot of short-term capital gains um, or ordinary income, it might be, make sense to own those types of assets in certain accounts. Yes. IRA mm-hmm. accounts or Roth accounts. That's true. And one, I think one of the mis- missteps we see is uh, people owning asset classes in the wrong account. Yeah. So they're getting a, a tax bill that's every year from an account that's spinning off short-term capital gains. That's true. You remember, uh, as you address asset class, we're talking about an investment instrument of some kind. Yeah. And um, again, we're always hoping that they make money somehow. Either they pay us something or they go up in value over time. And each investment has its own tax ramifications during its ownership period. And that also depends on the type of account that's being held in during its ownership period. And you want to maximize the account registration with the type of investment it is to lower those tax consequences as much as possible. Yeah. That's great. Well, I guess to wrap it up, we have a, I guess, a couple takeaways um, that we'll kind of walk through. Um, I guess the first takeaway is most clients of ours who are physicians reach a point where it could make sense to involve an accountant. Absolutely. Right. You know, it's yeah. A lot of people starting out, their return is pretty simple, but as people begin to amass wealth, would you agree that sometimes it gets a little complex? There's no doubt about it. Uh, there are some great tax preparation programs available right now, and they can lead you through preparing your own taxes pretty accurately for the most part. Yeah. But if you get involved in any of these tax-saving strategies, oftentimes you're going to get in areas you're not familiar with and or that the tax software would take you a long time to figure out and an accountant would be the better choice to end up with a 
better result. Yeah, yeah. I guess another thought is um, most accountants or CPAs would agree that they prepare taxes. And sure. that um, we find that most don't, uh, some do, but most don't give too much investment strategy advice. Do, do you find that's the case? That most, you know, or if, well, I, don't, I guess a lot of them don't see the whole picture. They see the tax side of the equation. And so sure. they, they try not to dabble in the whole portfolio, I guess. Yeah, I think that's really true. And uh, in our role as a financial planner, oftentimes we see the larger picture. Yeah. And maybe we see where a family's wealth is in all the places it might be residing. And there could be tax strategies employed to minimize income taxes at the end of the day. Uh, the CPA, especially if you have your tax prepared prior to April 15th when they're really, really busy, they're probably just trying to get the tax return done and not spending too much time on counsel, advice, or recommendations on what you could do differently to lower your taxes. Yeah, yeah, where hopefully a good advisor is looking at the whole picture, developing a strategy, a withdrawal strategy, you know, for someone in retirement so that they're not paying high taxes in retirement. Maybe part of their income is coming from old IRA accounts, some's coming from Roth accounts, which is tax-free, some's coming from taxable accounts, which you pay capital gains rates, and having different options allows you to overall lower your taxes. Sure, it, I'd say it becomes a different experience once you retire. While you're working, you have more or less the same type of income most of the time. Yeah. Occasionally you'll interject new assets or do something different that you haven't done in the past, and you'll get used to accounting for that on your tax forms. When you retire, you no longer have that same source of income or sources of income, and you're relying now on what you've saved yeah. to live on, and you need to become adept at withdrawal strategies that don't push you into any higher tax bracket than is absolutely necessary to keep your taxes as low as possible. Yeah. And I guess, I, I guess one of our last thoughts, um, there will always be those who say, uh, you know, I've had, I, I do it myself or I've had same accountant do it for years and years and, and sometimes it could be good I think to have a second set of eyes and that and this is kind of where this is a service we provide yes um, absolutely uh, this is where I think we can be of value um, you know it typically doesn't take us too long to, to review through someone's taxes it's a relatively quick process and we can usually catch some of these concepts we've talked about but uh, a lot of times if you fall into a routine you, you miss changes or different opportunities sure well and this last year is a good example. The tax laws are always changing. Yeah, yeah. And um, an accountant uh, is doing their best to stay up on individual income tax law changes, as maybe as well as corporate tax law changes. Yeah. And uh, we, of course, focus primarily on individual and family uh, financial wealth and planning. Uh, so we're especially attuned to changes related to individual income taxes. Uh, I would say all the planners here are fairly conversant in tax uh, issues. Uh, we know how to employ all these tax-saving strategies. And there are a couple of us who are uh, especially experienced at reviewing tax forms. Sure, yeah. And I think it's a great 
additional value add that we're able to provide to our clients. Good. Well, Trent, thank you. Um, hopefully this, this high overview of you know, some common things we find in tax reviews is helpful for our listeners. Um, and we encourage you to reach out with any questions. But Trent, thank you for your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. Yeah, we'll do it again. I look forward to it.